is Cam for the Nerdbook Review, where we strive to broaden your fantasy horizons. Today, Barry and I will be bringing you Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. If you are a sci-fi fan, you are no doubt aware of this novel, as it won the Hugo, Nebula, and just about all the other big awards for 2013. Unlike most of the books that Barry chooses for this podcast, which would be eligible for Social Security, this book only came out in 2013, so it would just be a kindergartner. As such, we'll have far fewer spoilers than we usually do with uh, a lot of Barry's books. Um, We were far more careful than we usually are. Uh, I will get to the review in just a moment, right after I get through the usual housekeeping. You can reach us. You can reach us by email, nerdbookreview at gmail.com, on Facebook through the page Nerdbook Review, and on Twitter at Nerdbook Review. If you would be so kind as to leave a rating and review, I would greatly appreciate it. And thank you all so very much, and I will get right to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, I'm Cam. And I'm Barry. And this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, we are going to be reviewing Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. I will give you the book info, stats, and whatnot real quick, and then Barry will give you the blurb. He has a physical copy of the book, so we'll do that. Uh, Ancillary Justice is 409 pages long. It is Leckie's first novel, and what a doozy of a novel. It won the Hugo Nebula and the Arthur C. Clarke Award, and it won a Locus for Best First Novel. Uh, That is... uh, Oh, and it was published in 2013, but needless to say, that's pretty impressive on the awards that it racked up. And as I uh, said with... uh, the Virtual Light. Uh, who's the author again for Virtual Light? William Gibson. William Gibson. There we are. Um, where he won. He didn't win the Arthur C. Clarke. He won a different one of them, but um, also won three Philip major. Philip K. Dick. The Philip K. Dick. Yeah. So he won three major awards with his first novel as well. And you got to kind of wonder, like, where do you go from here when you have uh, basically won all of the awards? Um, anyways, this is the first book in the Imperial uh, Raj. 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 I guess. Yeah. Um, it's the Radchai. I called it the Radchai Empire, but... Um, or I thought Radikai, too, maybe, but I don't well, maybe. know how they pronounce it. It's yeah, hard I don't to know. say. I haven't heard it on audiobook. Yeah, I haven't audiobook? either. Yeah, I, didn't, I haven't read it on, listened to it either, so um, good good, uh, good question. So um, either way, uh, it was published in 2013. It is the first in a trilogy, and the other two books were published in 2014 and 15. So, once again, Ancillary Justice, 400 pages long. Um, Anne Leckie, it was her first novel, won a lot of awards. So, uh, Barry and I will do our best not to uh, watch the draft too much on ESPN while we are doing a book review. <laughs> I, I look over and I see Barry uh, watching. Uh, who, who did... Uh, oh, we're already the... The Browns drafted someone, and they're catching passes now. Or no, I think it's the cornerback from uh, no, Ohio, Ohio State. State. Alrighty, yeah, he looks pretty lit. Anyway, okay. Um, justice will come to the Empire on a remote icy planet. The soldier known as Breck is drawing closer to completing her quest. Breck is both more than she seems and less than she was. Years ago, she was the Justice of Torin, a colossal starship with an artificial intelligence linking thousands of soldiers in the service of the Ratch, the empire that conquered the galaxy. 
An act of treachery has ripped it all away, leaving her with only one fragile human body, unanswered questions, and a burning desire for vengeance. Emotionally charged and epic in scale, Ancillary Justice marks the debut of a thrilling new voice in science fiction. Well done, Barry. Well done. Um, It's actually pretty close to what someone has edited down with the Goodreads blurb. Um, My quick take is a sentient ship AI in human form begins a journey that could bring an empire to civil war. Yeah, summed it up pretty well there. Yeah, and we'll actually need to be a little more careful about uh, spoilers than we usually are with some of our sci-fi ones, especially the uh, ones that are like 30, 40 years old, because this one is only uh, going on five years old now. So um, we'll make sure we don't give away the ending this time. Yeah, Books almost potty trained. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully it would be at this point. Uh, we'll if, say it is. We'll say it, it is. I'll give, I'll give it potty trained. We'll give it potty trained. Uh, so, I mean, one of those awards it has to be potty trained. Yeah. I mean, most of the uh, selections that Barry's chosen um, are on Social Security already. That's true. That's true. Or dead. <laughs> so, Barry. A lot of authors are dead. Yeah. What was your uh, thought on the book itself? I thought it was a really good book. I thought it was uh, one of the most imaginative, like, fresh takes that I've read in a long time. I liked how they have, like, you're seeing this from the perspective of artificial intelligence, where it's an artificial intelligence that, that has inhabited an entire spaceship of many bodies. And I think that's just incredibly ambitious for a first i mean she's written some other things maybe not this is her first novel but she has written plenty before but it's an incredibly ambitious first novel for anyone it's an ambitious 30th novel the concepts and the originality that uh she writes about in this and i thought it was like a fairly fast-placed plot you like the characters you identify with a lot of things there's a lot of meaning to it without devolving into simple allegory either and i really enjoyed it yeah okay so that was my like big point that i really wanted to get to too was that I was amazed with how quickly I cared about um, the Torin, uh, the Justice of Torin, who will be Breck when she's a single uh, soldier that we meet in like the present time. Um, in the past, there's two threads in this novel: a, a present and a past. Where in the past, it was the the ship was the Justice of Torin, and we see a bunch of there. They were human bodies. Basically, they were. Um, care, like people who were on planets that got annexed by this empire and they were either the troublemakers or just people that weren't considered desirable and basically they're killed, put in storage and then when the uh, one of these ships, whether they're like their big destroyer types, the troop carriers, which is what our um, character was, was a troop carrier and they have some smaller like supply and courier ships that all have like basically they're a sentient ship with these, um, as Barry said, they're ancillaries. So these humans that were killed, they're brought back out of storage, basically, out of cold storage, and the ship's AI is inserted into their minds, basically takes over their brain, and then, I mean, the ships, they could have hun- they have hundreds of these, you know, to- all told. And, like, I think, like, a normal squad's, like, 20. Um, and there's however many decks. So there's hundreds of, of these ancillary soldiers on each um, planet, or sorry, each ship. And that being said, I, I was just amazed by how much I cared about 
a ship. I know. It's amazing. That was part of the amazing writing is you find yourself caring about it. Um, one thing I noticed, I thought, like, I thought it was interesting how they don't mention Breck. We know she's Breck because I looked at the back cover of the book first. But, like, you don't find out the name Breck for this individual, uh, like, for quite a ways into the book, right? Yeah. So, so I found that kind of like an intriguing sort of usage. I mean, you're curious about this. You're mysterious about this person who's telling the story in first person, of course. And I think first person, you end up really empathize. You're you really end up in the world of the person you're seeing the seeing the world through a lot of the time. I think that helped a lot. I like that. And but I think it's also it's similar to some of the old um, like Clint Eastwood movie, uh, Fistful of Dollars. You have a nameless hero. That's pretty good. And you also have what's another example? Anyone seen that movie Vanishing Point with Barry Newman? You know, you don't find out halfway through the movie his name's Kowalski. <laughs> Everybody's seen that, right? Um, I don't know that I have, or if I have, right. it's been a long time. Pretty sweet car chase movie. It's old. Huh. Fat, it's an old one, but yeah, it's this guy. This guy goes crazy driving a car across the country. It's awesome. Any, well, I won't ruin the movie. <laughs> so what we have is is this empire, the Rad, the Radkai, Radchai, however we're uh, going to say it. They're humans, and there are non-humans. We don't actually get to meet any non-humans, but there are non-human uh, sentient races, including one that is uh, probably more powerful than the humans. Apparently were important enough or, and would be enough trouble taking out that they consider like humanity civilized, which is something they don't do very often. But so they, um, this empire, they're led by a um, like a lord. It's basically a feudal style system. Um, like the uh, the important families will get uh, um, like the important postings, you know, and then they'll be they'll be able to make money basically off of uh, the patronage that they'll get when they conquer a new world. And one of the big problems is that that's supposed to be ending because these other aliens want the humans to stop expanding. And so um, I think this is going to be a storyline that's going to be a lot more important going forward in the, the book two and three. But the, it's going to start causing some problems now that they're not expanding and that whole feudalism. It's kind of like how Rome fell apart once they conquered everyone who was worth conquering. And then they didn't have the money like for their state coffers. And then suddenly barbarians were able to start chipping away at the little feudal like fiefdoms that people were able to, to put together, you know? Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, it, did, it wasn't a direct correlation to Rome. You know, it wasn't a simple allegory. Oh, but I, I, don't thought about, I thought about Rome a lot, just like you when I was watching, reading this. I mean, Rome was sustained by their own empire momentum when that ran out. You know, they're in defensive mode and not so good in defensive mode. Kind of like Oregon's offense sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. And the uh, emperor of the empire, you know, is a really... is. is equally as of an interesting character as Breck, I think. I think oh, yeah. it's really cool how they have an emperor who is basically many places at once with many different bodies who can almost see everything. And in a way, that's kind of how like a totalitarian dictatorship is, like under Stalin, where you have lackeys that are a lot like the absolute leader. I mean, I mean, there's some similarities there, and thought that represented like kind of the idea of what an empire is pretty well. Yeah, and the lord the the emperor was um several thousand years old as well. I uh, just cloned their body. I, I took it as a he. 
I think this is a good point to like to where we can get into our. We have gender to talk about, <laughs> don't we? Yes, we do. We do. But that's so, the elephant in the room in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yes, as we have two men about to talk about uh, the the gender thing in this. So the uh, Raj um, in the Raja Empire, I didn't quite. I still think that they were male and female, but they don't use gender in their language. And so Breck, the Justice of Torn AI, just uses the term she for the most part. And when she's trying to pass off as like being human, that's one tip off that certain people, especially like people who are from the Empire, will get is they'll see that that uh, she struggles with that. And Barry, what did you think about that? I wasn't terribly against it. I mean, first of all, there's been so many books and movies that have nothing but male characters, so I have nothing against just having all the warriors be females and all the men at home. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, it's uh, I was okay with that. Uh, I found it a little confusing at times, like when they'd throw a random he in there and I didn't have the energy to read back and figure out who they were talking about. But... Sometimes I there were times where I thought, why why don't they just give us the gender? But like I don't know, I just read the book like picturing every character as female and just went with that. Like at a certain point, and when there was a he, I just kind of ignored it. I'm not sure it was if its benefits outweighed um, its costs yet. I mean, maybe the answers will be revealed in the next two books of the series. But but I found it interesting to say the least. Yeah, I and see what's funny is is I I actually liked trying to figure out who the uh, which ones were actually men and which ones were 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 women. But like I said, I've and I only I'm only confused about this because I read a couple reviews where it said that they were like not gendered at all. But I don't understand how that like that would be. But so I'm just gonna go with thinking that um, the empire just didn't. Uh, people just didn't care or differentiate because I mean, I didn't get any sort of like thought process that they were cloning people. Like, you know, the average, like I, I kind of felt like it seemed like they were born, you know? So, I mean, I didn't like, there's some sci-fi where you'll get to where like they just use incubators and things like that, you know, for the entire time to basically, uh, you know, work as an out outside the womb. But yeah, so, um, but yeah, we're not dealing in the, especially with this empire, which is the uh, um, dominant empire, with any sort of gender roles. Uh, men and women seem to uh, be completely equal, and uh, it's not until you get like farther in to where you, where you'll ever have any idea whether um, a, a character is male or female. In fact, um, you know, with that relationship that um, one of the that will kind of be the thing that will set off a lot of what happens. You, I still am not sure if it was a man and a woman, two men, two women. I generally picture them as women, mainly because of all the she's. But, you know, I could be wrong, of course, with what the author is doing. I mean, it's a female author, so I, I'm generally inclined to think they're female. But yeah, I don't I, think all of them thing, were, though. This is not a spoiler, I don't think, but... Uh, cut it if it is, but I there. This is a book with like no romantic love in it. This is a book where it's strictly plot based, moving the plot forward. They don't take time out for a like any sort of love, potential marriage between two couples. So if a couple are of mixed genders, so far it makes very little difference. Yeah, 
Well, and, and yeah, and one thing that we're going to, you know, first we're dealing with a ship AI, so they're obviously already dealing, like, a little bit odd, even if they are, like, fairly good at passing off as human. And then the other um, kind of, like, main character in the, um, like, the current line is completely broken. And even though they are a, they're from noble stock and pretty high ranking noble family, they, um, because of something that's happened to them, they're, they're totally like, they're basically drug addicts, you know, Mm -hmm. and they won't, and normally like being a drug addict can be fixed, but you have to be able to mentally want to do it as well. And so, you know, the empire, it hasn't fixed their drug addiction because they know that the person's just going to go get addicted to drugs again. Yeah. And so that person is clearly not in any sort of state, you know, to be having like a romantic relationship. Like there's no question at any point that like, that the relationships would, would, you know, between those two characters would become um, romantic. And that's, that's like kind of like a central point of the story. This isn't, this is also not a spoiler, I don't think, but you, the beginning of the book, the main character, Breck, finds this person. What's her name again? Jeez, I can't believe I cannot remember at the moment. What is. Cyberden is the name of this character that is presumably female. And Cyberden and Breck uh, spend a long journey together in the present day portion of this book. Yep. There was never like a question that uh, Breck, I I like to say Breck, Justice of Torin, basically the same thing, that uh, like, you know, there wasn't going to be that. I um, I have to say, though, like I said, I really cared a lot about Breck. And, um, you know, Cyberden wasn't exactly like a character that you cared a ton about. But I do think that the character, um, we can just say she, since all the pronouns for the most part used, at least within the Empire, were she. She did grow as a character, though. Like, there is definite growth mm-hmm. as time goes on. And even if, um, you know, the way it's done is because of, you know, using Breck as a crutch, it, st- it still works. And I, and I, um, she served a purpose, and she moved forward on her own as a character as well. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought it was a pretty impressive, uh, like, element in moving the plot forward. And there were a lot of other little minor characters in there. We don't need to talk about all of them, I don't think. But they, there was a lot of interesting minor characters to help advance the plot, especially in the early stages. Yeah, and what's what is the emperor's name again? It's I cannot believe I can't remember. I didn't. That's another one that's difficult to pronounce. Is it wh- how? Well, the Bills picked Josh Allen, huh? I wonder what Hazen thinks about that. <laughs> Anander Mayanani. Okay. A-N-A-A-N-D-E-R space M-I-A-N-A-A-I. Anander Miani. There it is. And, okay, and I, Anander, and you know what's funny, though? In my mind, because I was thinking I love the Malazan series, and one of the big characters is Animander. I swear the entire uh, time I was <laughs> reading the book, I just read it as Animander. Like, so anyway, so Anander, um, the, so the Emperor, I really liked the Emperor as a character because he's wily or she, he, she, like I said. Um, it's Pat. It's, yeah. Um, you can call this Emperor Pat. Yeah. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I wanted a haircut. Oh, God, please, please never do that again. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, like, seriously, though, like, <laughs> the the emperor, though, was wily. Like, I, I love that even though, 
Um, he, he, she is three or four thousand years old. Like, still does things that you that like that you wouldn't expect, you know, or that you would think of like some cheeky kid, you know, pulling off, or like they'd be like hiding or running around, you know, and you're like, oh, you wouldn't expect a four thousand year old emperor to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What did you think of the emperor? I thought the emperor was just really interesting. I mean, it's obvious that like their wisdom is, and they have wisdom enough to like help like lead a great empire. But they also have that things are not right. It's like there's something wrong with the leadership, and there's something wrong with what they're doing. And that's something that like you kind of feel as soon as you meet this character. Something's wrong with this one. Something's up, and. I think that's, I'm quite certain that's going to be a plot point throughout the rest of the series. Oh, yeah. I think that it will, by the end of this book, um, the whole, you know, leadership thing, I think, is like going to become the main thread. I think that like the main issue in the first book is something that kind of gets, you know, turned around a little bit. And I don't know that we, I feel like, like that we're, I think we're pretty appropriately skirting the edges of things where I think that if we gave too much away, it would really be spoilery. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I think that we're still getting things across, like in terms of, you know, appropriately right now that, um, you know, we can say that there's, there's clearly issues in the empire, especially because they have just, they've been forced to stop expanding. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that, like you said, you can, you can always see, um, just throughout history, like look at Rome, you know, look at the Mongols. They're a, a perfect example of like they fell eventually, you know, and they were an empire that was so powerful. I mean, it's it's the Mongols reshaped this planet, and in a way, those that empire has reshaped the world the way the Mongols did, you know, like mm-hmm. just sheer overwhelming force. There's no one that can really stand up to them, at least human, hu- like humanity, and so, but eventually you change. Eventually, you know, you hit a certain point where, like, you know, maybe your warriors aren't going to be as powerful because, you know, they're a little bit too pampered now instead of being these, you know, the horse lords or, or whatever. And we do have faster than light travel in this um, series. The ship, the big ships can do it themselves, but there's also portals. It doesn't, like, go into detail of, you know, how they were built or anything like that. But they, the, the portals go from system to system. The ships can do it themselves, but they have to calculate, and, you know, there could always be problems. There never has been, but there can be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, you're, we're talking like a galaxy-spanning empire, and when you're set up feudal, like, you know, you have to continually give your the families, you know, what they want, like the power and the prestige and you have to, you know, you get that by conquering new territories. Yeah, you like you, you're you only can sustain your own momentum. When you run out of momentum, that's it. I think that's what we're running into. Like I said earlier, and one thing I wanted to talk about is like I feel that this is like a fairly hard sci-fi book, although I almost feel like it's a fantasy book with. Uh, but um, yeah, I think it's a kind of a fantasy book in science fiction clothing. What do you think about that? It's more like it's a space opera. Yeah, it's a lot. There's yeah. similarities to Star Wars, kids. Yeah, or in or in this case, I thought like I actually liked. I I kind of thought more of the Stargate, where even the like the lords are still plotting against each other and things like that. Even though they're, you know, they can be thousands of years old. Uh, 
Um, did you ever watch Stargate? Yeah. Oh, I, I never God, watched I the it. series. I watched the movie. I love James Spader. You got Kurt Russell. I thought it was a pretty sick old science fiction movie. I never got into the series, though, but I've heard great things. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. Back in the day, I had I spent like months getting them all together because so at various points, the studio that ran it was owned by different people. So early on, this was like early 2000s when I was really, when, when the original series was done. And so I had to find, I think like Blockbuster back then had like seasons one and two. And then Netflix back when they, when you actually got discs, you know, like they had a few of them. And then NBC got into things and there was like one season that they didn't have a distribution deal with either of those two. And then I think I had to find someone who actually owned that season to get that one. I mean, it was it took me like months to get all of the different, you know, uh, um, parts of it together. It was. Um, but, yeah, I loved that series. And well, I know uh, Chris is big into it, too. And I yeah. think he was just watching it. Not to give you away too much of your no. personal life there, Chris. <laughs> I know you're going to listen to this. <laughs> but Might yeah. as well just give away your social security number from telling what you're watching on TV. <laughs> That, that's kind of the feel that I got, like in terms of the, the temperament and the tone to where it was serious most of the time, but it could be funny and it could, it didn't, it wasn't like hard sci-fi. It was an adventure of, story. Yeah. Like it's an adventure story in the future with a lot of space technology. I think it's, it's different than like an Arthur C. Clarke or an Isaac Asimov. There's not as much hardcore, like theoretical science in it. There's it's just a, like a very like kind of fast paced adventure story. Yeah. And that's, that's a good way to put it. like a space opera. Um, another author that, um, I, I really love, um, the um, McMaster Buhold, um, Lois is her first name. She's uh, she's one that I swear I don't hear get mentioned as much enough. But she's got like four Hugos and a lifetime Hugo for like her t- entire series. You know, she actually has more Hugos than any other person, man or woman. Oh, interesting. And uh, I didn't but know I that. swear that she doesn't get the the you know love that I I think she deserves. And it's the sci- first sci fi series that I ever read, and I went the, through the entire thing from start to finish, like 17 books when I did it like four or five years ago. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's kind of like along that to where this isn't about like the physics or like we don't ever learn how gate technology works or anything. You know what I'm Like that's not what's important. This is, yeah, you get that more of a fantasy feel. Um, and there's no sense that Earth exists. You know, you're nope. way away from Earth. It's like Star Wars. Like there's never like any talk of like the actual planet where humans originated. No. Nope. There's a, there's one mention where like uh, there that they say various planets do claim to be the original like the origin point for humanity, but no one, but it's just like a tourist uh, attempt, you know, with certain things. So yeah, very very little in the book. Yeah, I mean it was mentioned one time, I think, but yeah. So the um, I don't know. I guess I I, I know that it's funny because I kind of feel like we're uh, we're just blowing through this um, review. But I really do feel like I like we've gotten a pretty good. Do you think there's anything else we really need to like say for plot points or? Uh, I think we kind of covered the book. I yeah. mean, I don't want to give away any spoilers here. I mean, I had no problem spoiling some of those older books, but yeah, I think if yeah. I give away too much more here, we'd be kind of getting into spoiler territory. Yeah, and this, like I said, this novel is only uh, um, not even quite in kindergarten yet, so uh, we we should probably not. Um, 
getting into the whole like recommendation phase, um, I think we've Barry, you've mentioned multiple times that you liked it, but but like how how much did you like it, and what what did you think? Okay, I thought it was good. I mean, let's let's just I, I don't want to say this book doesn't have its faults. There are a few faults that I found. Like I think the writing was good. I think I mean it's incredibly ambitious, but I found there were times I I was clunking through parts of the book where I think I think the author is obviously a really good writer here, but as a first time novel, I don't know if anybody could have written such a incredibly complicated and imaginative plot point like with in, to be being incredibly smooth and maybe that's just part of the territory but i feel like there were times when it bogged down in vocabulary and i found myself like trying to figure out different words and going back and there were times where it wasn't incredibly smooth but i mean but other than that i mean it was a like a fairly minor inconvenience when you get into the plot i found yeah and you did mention too that you had a little bit of uh um, issue with uh, like the gender part, like of trying to maybe sometimes figure out whether it was uh, the person was actually a male or a female with the she, he, um, and a couple of times there was a he. Uh, let's see who the Niners pick. Who are uh, the Niners picking? I don't know. I was you got to leave this in the podcast. Right? I was hoping that that guard that the Giants picked at seven, or not the Giants, but whoever picked at seven. Oh, they still got the other Notre Dame guy. There was two uh, offensive linemen for the Notre Dame. I think that guard was better. Mike Mike Buglinky sounds like he could be in this book. <laughs> He's a big old dude, isn't he? She's pretty big. Yeah, she is. She is a massive human being. Almost don't say Mike. You know what we're doing. <laughs> well, no, you don't. So uh, oh, apparently, over uh, his head. Apparently, joke. Matt Ryan is uh, her cousin. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, she's a good quarterback too. Yeah. Oh, God. Now I'm back on track. Okay. Yeah, so, but that didn't bother me. I actually was having a good enough time trying to figure out, like, it kind of became a little thing for me where I was like, oh, is this going to be, like, is this one a man or a woman, like, actually? And it didn't bother me for some reason. Like, I just, I got a kick out of trying to figure it out. But like I said, so I have books where sometimes it only took me two days to read this 400 pages. I just, you know, blew through it. And I have, there's times where, the setting and what I'm able to do makes a difference. And since I think I was loading like gravel again and I was, you know, I wasn't doing anything in between loads. And so I was able to just sit down and read for without really any interruption. And sometimes when I can do that, like I just get into the flow of a story and I, and it change and it's different than like, maybe if I'd had to read this book over like 10 days or two weeks, those things would have like bothered me more than, but because they didn't, because I just got into things, you know, and was able to do it in a really short time period without thinking about those things. But I do, I did, ha I do have in my notes that I did notice, and I do, I wrote in my other phone that from about 60 to 80%, it kind of slows down a little bit. And I think that that's where like a bunch of plot points are coming together and things start to happen to where like a little bit of, uh, like politicking and like being clever has to come into play. And that's where it bogged down a little bit for me, but not a ton. Um, and then by like the last 20% is pretty action packed. I mean, once it, you know, once the, the end climactic scene comes into play about 80% in, like it's just pretty, pretty nonstop action packed from that point on. Mm -hmm. um, I think this book would be 
an incredible, and I don't think this, well, I kind of think this about everything, but this one especially would be incredible if it was brought to a visual medium, be it like a film or a TV series. Yeah, you know, I read somewhere that the rights have been optioned, but I don't know if anything's ever happened with that. Yeah, I saw that too, actually. I but saw I, it on Wikipedia, but, you know, I trust Wikipedia a lot of the time. <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I that's what I think might have been where I saw that it was uh, optioned as well. But, yeah, I think this would be a, a good uh, a good um, visual medium. Like I said, it's it's a it's so entertaining and it doesn't it's not like it would need to get like bogged down in any kind of science. Like you could just, you know, I, I, like it would be a cool opening scene where they're down on the planet and you have all of the um, different uh, ancillaries. And you know that they're diff- like they just take whatever body is available. They do. They say they do try to choose like one that you know goes with the the ship's personality because the ship does have its own personality mm-hmm. as well as being AI. And mm-hmm. sometimes like the med techs would to mess with them, they would not. Uh, you know, they would choose the wrong like a body that they knew wouldn't be good for what they um what they like to do. And, uh, but yeah, I really feel like you could have a cool opening scene where like, they're just like marching in like lockstep basically, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the, just the ship as like, and you get to see different perspectives and then go back to the ship's like mind, you know, basically mm-hmm. like, I yeah, f- I feel it'd be a great creative medium for somebody who is in filmmaking. You could, I would hate to see it done poorly. I really yep. would. I think it would be great if it was done with by Christopher Nolan. You're like, Christopher Nolan, you listen to this podcast. <laughs> but but yeah. I thought that was, I, I yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's definitely made, not made for TV. It was pretty good writing too, yeah. but um, yeah. Yeah. No, um, the, uh, the getting into the whole, like, how did it make us feel and stuff, um, I don't know. You know what's funny is that I really did care about the AI, which was something that, c- that I would, would consciously be like, man, I can't believe I care as much about a, a sentient ship as I do. But it's, it wasn't like a, a heartstring tugger, you know, as a general rule. Yeah, well, we're, we're conditioned, like, with a, a, artificial intelligence as HAL from 2001, and artificial intelligence is evil and heartless. But you really empathize with this character. I mean, it really feels like a human character with their own kind of general flaws. and But at the same time, they're really tough fighters, like, you know, they're draining threes like LeBron, probably, uh, <laughs> if they were basketball players. Yeah, and then the thing is, too, is uh, that I think that she actually manages to make the uh, to make Breck uh, or the Justice of Torin seem vulnerable and um, mm-hmm. like unsure of themselves. Like it's something that she actually cares about trying to figure out the right gender when they're outside of the Empire. You know, of like these characters, it's something that like is constantly on her mind of like, am I doing this right? Like, what if I'm not? Like, what's the, what are the consequences if I don't get it right, you know? And sh- for some reason, she's just not able to figure things, you know? It's kind of like a, almost a running joke that the author is playing with us on her character, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe you should get an interview with her. Maybe. I mean, well, I really, I mean, if I could, I, that would be sweet. I feel like she's probably a big enough uh, author that I might have trouble doing that, but never know. You never know. <laughs> this is her first book, and I'm I'm super looking forward to reading. I, I will read books two and three. I think um, here shortly. This as soon as I have some free time, and then uh, 
and you know i would like to figure like see how the whole series goes um would you recommend it to other people barry i would recommend this to anybody who's in for like a like in for a good adventure novel like yeah. it's fast paced it's i mean it is vocabulary dense so you know this isn't a just quick easy read if you don't have a a little patience i don't think but it was a it's a good book and i definitely recommend it to not just science fiction fans but people who are or i recommend it to a lot of fantasy fans really i think fantasy fans will instantly gravitate to a lot of the norms in this book yeah this is certainly a very accessible uh, sci-fi book that I think a lot of people would read it and like. Um, in fact, I think the only people who might not like it is if, if you insist on a hardcore sci-fi, like, you know, hard science fiction. If, like, that's what you're like, oh, if science fiction needs to be all about the physics and things like that, then maybe that wouldn't be your thing. Otherwise, I think that if you like fantasy, if you like um, a space opera, um, if you happen to know who uh, Lewis uh, McMaster Buhold is, um, totally recommend reading her as well. Like I said, I've read all. I don't know if there's more than seventeen now, but a few years ago when I start when I was reading, there were seventeen or somewhere in that range, and I read them all in a row. You know, this was a couple years before the podcast, and I just found every single one. I really loved it, and I think that this is the kind of thing that I bet a lot of people would. Um, this is a kind of series where this could be like your favorite to read, you know, like multiple times where it's like just a, a, a comforting read, you know, like it's not a hard read. It's not something that that makes you like question your uh, your moral compass or anything like that, even with the ship's AI, you know, like I think I don't know. I mean, maybe being a history kind of guy I am. Like, I didn't, I, I pretty well knew how things were going to go as far as, like, how Empire-type stuff was going to be, you know? But, I don't know, I just, it, it's just a good, fun read. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just incredibly imaginative. Like, it's it's not, a, I mean, it is, it is accessible, but that doesn't mean it's not incredibly imaginative and unique in its approach and its ideas. And I think that's its greatest strength is the... Um, audacious originality that it has yep barry what would you rate it on a five-star system i gave it a four okay and um i think it was a a really good book i give it big points for its originality i give it good big points for pretty good um writing but like yes some of the writing i think you know it's just it's almost like the ideas were uh like more ambitious than good writing could keep up with all the time but i still feel you know i was i was hooked i was working through it well and fast and enjoying it every night and then so i'd give it a good good solid four okay and i am going to give this i think a four and a half i here's the thing i know i, I rated it a five star on goodreads and amazon um i and I really enjoyed it, and I really want to read it, read books two and three. But I think that I feel like a four and a half is, you know, I bet I could read it and go anywhere between a four and a five, depending on the mood I'm in. And, I mean, it is a entertaining story, and um, I don't want to call it fluff, because it's not fluff, but, like, you know, we've had, we've had books on here where we've talked about that, like, they're just about being entertaining, 
And I think that, like, for me, like, I didn't really... I mean, I know that there's probably supposed to be, like, that moral, uh, you know, the moral of the story type of a thing, but I didn't really think that that was important to me. The story was just so entertaining and good. It's a very revenge-based plot. Yeah. and But the thing is, is that... uh like I don't really feel like you know even by the end of it like I you know any anything was anybody was um except for uh um our uh Silvo, however you want to the the character Sivengard um sure then uh you know other than that like you don't really have anybody that changes a whole lot but this is just an entertaining story, and that's what it's supposed to be, I think. And it's a lead up into two into a series, and yeah. who knows? Like I finished the we did a new podcast on it, and that's fine. But I finished the uh, three body problem series, and oh my goodness, that thing goes in a far different direction than you think it is. And maybe this series is similar. It goes, it goes in an incredibly different direction than it started with in the first book. Yeah. But I think, Maybe. He, yeah. It, it, but the thing is, for me, is even if it, whether it does or doesn't, like that's not important to me. I just had a good time sitting down and reading this novel and being entertained. And I, like I said, I don't think that this has quite the like moral uh, compass and moral uh, of the story type of a thing as some of the other novels that we that we've you know read. Um, like maybe like Snow Crash or, well, I think Snow Crash was more like you, you said, uh, the more I think about it, the more I think it was a little bit of a parody, but like maybe Virtual Light or like the, uh, you just got done reading Senlon Ascends by uh, Josiah. Yeah, that's a Baker. first book I've listened to based upon a recommendation of this <laughs> podcast. So go nerd book review. Yeah. So anyway, so good and entertaining and that's what I think it's supposed to be doing and that's what it does very, very well for me. Um, I don't think that uh, going getting into the the main audience who shouldn't shouldn't read it. Basically, early teens on up. There's not a lot of uh, there's no like real like torture scenes or anything like that. There's no sex scenes. Um, it's uh, sometimes teenagers might find it a little de uh, like dense. Maybe but. yeah, maybe it'd be a little just for the difficulty sake. But I okay. feel like any like pretty intelligent teenagers shouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah, but in terms of like it's just an easy. Uh, I mean, there's nothing, like, objectionable, I don't think. Like, unless you're the kind of uh, person who thinks that Harry Potter is uh, evil, then you, uh, and you're probably not listening to my podcast if that's the case. Like, there's nothing that is grimdark or anything like that in this novel. So, uh, anybody can read it if you think you're going to be up to be entertained by it. So, um, finally, Barry, uh, thank you for coming on. Do you have anything, uh, like, parting thoughts before uh, Brand gets even louder? Oh, no, thanks for having me over, man. Good steak, good asparagus, uh, good podcast, I guess. Yeah, I I'll had a see great you time. the next time. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be awesome again. Awesome. Well, hey, Barry, once again, thank you for coming out and uh, have a, a good evening, everybody. Ta ta. Ta ta.